Hello and welcome to Totem Talks, Season 2, Episode 13. You nailed it. I we did. are officially <laughs> past the halfway point of the season once we complete two artists. That's uh, true. Yeah, that's, that's math. True. We're getting there. Yeah, that's yeah. amazing. Time is really flying. I know. I know. Who'd have thought we'd be halfway through the second season by now? I, and I've barely even prepared into Season 18 at this point, so... <laughs> <laughs> It's, he, I wish he you was think kidding. I'm kidding, but I'm not. I wish he was kidding. He had like 17 yeah. seasons ready before oh, we yeah. recorded the first Absolutely. one. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, thousands of artists so all, all lined up. Hey, you know what? I'm glad you knew that many. Yeah, me too. Honestly. Um, it took a lot of research. It did. It did. But you know what? It's it's worth it. Mm-hmm. And, and I find a bunch of new ones as we go, too. Right. You know, as we're working on this, I learn about artists you know who have solo careers in the yeah. bands that we're working on, all that other good stuff, too. No, it makes a lot of sense. And then it's nice to have that stuff ready. Yeah. I would I would hate to be like at the end of the season and be like, oh my God, so what who's are we doing next, next year? Yeah. yeah, that's it's nice that we have that kind of framework. Done. Totally. But anyway, enough of the behind the scenes right. stuff. Nobody cares about the work behind the curtain. Not at all. Uh, so hey, welcome to Totem Talks or welcome back to Totem Probably. Talks, you know, either way. I should say welcome to Nick and his many listens per week. <laughs> yes. It, yes, I listen. I love us so much. So I just listen over and over again. Uh, but anyway, if you're new here, uh, what we do is we take music and musical artists and bands and fun stuff and compare and contrast, do a little deep dive of their work, and come out with who's the best of the episode, and eventually who's the goat, the greatest yeah, of all exactly. time, uh, and why it's us. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> Come on. I mean, we'll see how many years I can keep uh, up the artist list for until we inevitably have to cover ourselves. I feel like it's going to be a long time. We have to at least have six albums out. Uh, yeah, totally. I, I don't want to be. I don't want to be under on yeah, breadth of work. I refuse to cover Low Totem the band until we are at least average on yeah, breadth of work. I agree. So, however long that way, that we takes. can only get docked for no one buying it and uh, yeah, terrible quality. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we are covering three artists today. Yes, we are. Uh, as we do. But before we get into them, let's introduce ourselves. So, welcome to Totem Talks. I am Pat. I'm Nick, and we've brought back our special guest. My brother Mike is here for a full episode now. Yes, yes. Yes. Well, knock on wood. Knock on wood. Yeah, knock on wood. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but now that we got that out of the way, let's introduce our acts. So we are starting with a band called The Verve, and then we're following that up with Gavin DeGraw. And then some obscure group that no one's ever heard of. Uh, yeah, Fleetwood Mac. That, I think, their I think name that's is? how it's pronounced. Who? Yeah, exactly. They're so. named after the drummer and the the bassist or something. <laughs> that's how typical. <laughs> how typical. So should we be the Papadomuses? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Are we it's actually kind of a cool name. name. Yeah, yeah right. I like that. That's actually, yeah, right. yeah like, right. As I said it, I was like, wait. Yeah, that's not bad. Should no. we be the Papadomuses? Yes, yeah, that's, that's not bad. It sounds like it could be like some kind of animal on Sesame Street. The yeah. Papadamas. Or a That's, Greek family. Yeah. It's or, one or the right. other. Yeah. Right. Well, Alex is Greek. Yeah. Papatolis right. is That's right. Greek. Right. That's right. All right. Well, I guess without any real further ado, we should jump into The, the Verve. Verve. So uh, The Verb were an English rock band. They were formed in Wigan in 1990, and uh, they have been on and off ever since. A lot of off. A lot of off, off, a lot of yeah. breakups from this band, uh, some real tension, uh, and and we pretty much hit the albums after they got back together was kind of the way it worked out. So they released four albums total, right? 
we went over three of them, and each one is <laughs> like either right before or right after they broke up. So it's it's pretty interesting. Uh, but we yeah. started with A Storm in Heaven, their debut album, which came out in 1993. Uh, then we followed that up with Urban Hymns, which came out in 1997. And then Fourth, which is ironically their fourth album, yeah, came of out course. in 2008. But not spelled, spelled without the U, like Fourth, like... Yes, it's forth. to go forth, yeah. but yeah, it forth. is also the fourth album. Right. It's the fourth album called Fourth. Correct. Which is better than, well, who was it? Somebody oh, who uh, did had a... Two, Manfred Mann. Uh, Man yeah, Manfred yeah. Mann. 2006, right. but it came out in 2004. <laughs> yeah. Right. I'm glad I didn't even yeah. have to go too far no, I, I understood before exactly you what, what you meant. meant. Uh, so who wants to start oh, talking about I? Storm in Heaven? You can. Can I? Okay. So I knew a handful of Verve songs coming into here. But none from this album. Real quick, uh, great that you said Verve. Oh, because they were because originally they called, were called Verve. Verve they had to change their yes. name uh, to, the, to Verve the Verve right. because of, I believe, it was uh, a jazz a jazz record label. Uh, record yeah. label, yeah. Verve okay. Records. Yeah. Yes. So this record, uh, for the record, Enemy ranked it 473rd uh, on their 500 greatest yes. albums of all time list. So uh, it definitely has some critical acclaim. It's generally well reviewed, uh, at worst middling. Um, but I think it deserves the good reviews. This yeah. is uh, a Britpop record. It's a Britpop record from around this era of the 90s. And it's... I suppose the two artists that you would think of the most that we've covered so far would be probably the Stone Roses, who heavily influenced the Verve. Uh, and that makes perfect sense. Upon yeah. hearing it, you're like, yeah, these guys definitely were listening to those Stone Stone Roses records. Yeah. Uh, and also sort of like a gateway to Oasis. This is definitely a less commercial, uh, a much less um, super accessible to a large public audience than Oasis was because it's much more psychedelic. And That's what and I was about echoey. to say. I was shocked um, that you called it Britpop when I well, when I first thought of this as a psychedelic rock album. Oh, and I I fully agree. I fully agree. But I'm just trying to like there is like they get Britpop. There is a relation. Right. Exactly. Yes. There is a relationship in this band to to that coming trend in music. Yeah. And I was gonna say uh, when they were touring with this record. Uh, their first record, their opening act, of course, was Six Degrees of Totem Talks. Already? We're... I know. <laughs> I know. We're already into the Six Degrees of Totem Talks. It was Oasis. Yeah. And we'll get more into the relationship between this band and Oasis as we go on, I think. Yes. Um, I have I have one. Yeah. So, okay. I, we I, probably I have the same one. Yeah, other... but when I find them, it's That's more fine. rare. That's fine. You can have them. So. But oh, I just wanted thanks, to... Thanks, bud. Yeah. I just you wanted can, to... You could take it. You know, show that that was already kind of starting. That was something that's on the yes. radar. Although they are definitely like all the way to the psychedelic, reverby, spacey end yeah. of that British rock spectrum. For honestly, honestly, and you know that I would not say this lightly. It's very reminiscent of some early Floyd records. Yes, I, I, I am so glad you yeah. said that because I was going to say that. And I was I was nervous. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. I totally agree. It's very it's very reminiscent of early Floyd records. Yes, it is. Uh, really great use of the effects, and you know, having the sound take up space. It's definitely the kind of record where you could like turn the lights off, uh, just yeah. put your headphones yeah. on, and kind of melt into the music, so to speak. Um, sure. Great saxophone on this as well. Uh, a cup on a couple of tracks. The sun and the sea was the one that really stood out to me for that. But I have no complaints about this record. I think it's a, a great first step in the Verve's evolution 
as a band, uh, and I really enjoy the direction that they started in. I uh, I could not agree more, uh, but I I want to let I want to let Mike go. No, I I I definitely agree, and I also think that it's uh what what's really not mentioned is is when this came out this was they were probably one of the first bands if not the first band to come back to psychedelic music around mm. this time sure yeah and i mean it it was i thought it was a great album actually and i this is probably my favorite album um from the from verve okay. because uh yeah i mean it was it was um very original, and especially for the time, you know, 1990 was like it's. Wouldn't you have pop music basically, and then sure grunge and grunge but hit not... the scene a little bit later, like mm-hmm. just a, like yeah. a little bit later, sure. not much, yeah. And it was like a, a there was still like a post punk thing going on with like Fugazi mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But these guys just I I was pleasantly surprised when I because I've never heard this album. Yeah, right. And Neither. I know that uh, you know Richie Ash- Ashcroft is really respected uh throughout um you know the community uh, totally. of of music i i had no idea that he was that uh popular with everyone and i yeah. wasn't sure why um but then yeah i mean he has definitely has a lot of range and he is a great singer yeah yeah totally totally yeah yeah uh, so i agree with all that I will say the vocals for me on this album were not an issue at all, but also not a focal point. Yeah, I agree. Which is I don't think that yeah, they that's again, not that's a he's, design of the music. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah. And I'm saying that like a lot of times when that happens it's because the singer isn't good and I think that Richard Ashcroft is good. Yeah, definitely. And I think that he just was never the focal point here sure. where he becomes more of the focal point later on. Right. And I definitely have a thing for when these British singers of, of this era yeah. really lean into their accent when yeah. they sing. Like, <laughs> I love that. Love that. Yeah. I totally get that. Uh but for me uh, again this is just a really killer psychedelic rock album. I also got those early Floyd vibes, uh, and I was terrified because that's one of Nick's favorite bands. Yeah, yeah. The... So <laughs> I still think it's yeah. the Beatles. That's I think understandable. You're just a liar. I mean, they're they're both so. Impeccable. I know, but yes. y- y- you've you've said that before, and I, every time you say it, I'm like, no, Nick, it's the Beatles. Which one do you talk about more? <laughs> <laughs> but. Either way, I think that there's a few uh, really standout tracks on here. Um, I really loved Beautiful Mind uh, because I thought they did a great job of kind of spinning the instruments around the vocals is, sure. is the word that I'm going to use to describe that. Uh, and then I loved Butterfly, uh, which was just yes, a total jam, did, yeah, a total psychedelic great. jam yeah. to, to pretty much do almost the end of the album. There is one more song after that, but just yikes. But... One negative for this album, and I want to be very clear, is it's it's impossible to find. It's okay. It's not easy to yeah. find. Yeah, I mean, we. I I wasn't on any music streaming platforms that I could find. I had to YouTube the album, which yeah, sounds yeah. Right. That, so yep, which is weird. bizarre for such a highly critically acclaimed album by yeah. an artist that also had like a lot of success with some yeah. of their later yeah. albums. I mean, like I, we're gonna get to Urban Hymns, which sold millions wonder, and millions. Yes. I wonder if it's based on the name change and maybe the legal troubles with the name change. That's always something to, yeah, to consider. Yeah, it's weird. That's probably what it is. This yeah. was this really brought me back to earlier this season with Heart. Yeah, when Heart's right. biggest selling album was also right. impossible, impossible to, to find. find. Yeah, which and it's just like why? But regardless, sure. that's it. It's a really good psychedelic rock album. If you're into that kind of music, you will like this album. Mm-hmm. I think it really complements itself well. Uh, but we're going to move into Urban Hymns, where now it's changed. Yeah. And right from the start, 
it changes with Bittersweet Symphony, which is sure. the song you know by the verse. The most famous song, for it's sure. It's easily their most famous song. It, I will say, in the United States, if you're listening from the UK, the other singles on this, this album are probably equally uh, salient for you. Sure. Yes. Based uh, on their chart exactly. positions in the UK and things right. like that. Yeah, sure. I, but that in the U.S., this was definitely their number this one. This is hit. the song that put them on the map in the U.S. Totally. Uh, they'd already been kind of breaching the U.S. They played at Lollapalooza. They did stuff like that. There was this big uh, fun, I use fun in quotes, basically, <laughs> a moment in Lollapalooza where like they got super just <clears throat> drugged up and drunk and like trashed their hotel room and couldn't play the oh, next yeah. day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it was like this whole big thing, and they were... <laughs> Uh, Richard Ashcroft came like in, on interviews and was like, "Yeah, playing in the U.S. like almost killed me. <laughs> like the, yeah. the U.S. almost killed me the first time I went, uh, which is really interesting." Yeah, that's uh, the rock star lifestyle. It hits. Exactly. It hits yeah, hard exactly. if you if Definitely. you're not careful. Uh, but this album is almost a bona fide classic. Yeah, I think it's it's extremely strong all the way through. There's a couple moments. Uh, but for the most part, I mean, Bittersweet Symphony is not only a very popular song, it's an incredible song. Yes. Like, oh, the, I agree. It is. The, it's amazing. The theme, the message, <clears throat> the the beautiful arrangement with the strings and stuff, totally. which caused a lot of issue. The, and by the way, listen to the full album version, not the, the shorter single cut. Oh, yeah. Give no, it the listen full to six. The, yeah. Listen six minutes, to the full yeah. album version. I completely agree. Uh, but the strings is actually what caused a lot of trouble for the Verve. Yeah. Because... Uh, there was a lot. It got mired in legal trouble, uh, unfortunately, because that song they used a sample. Oh, yeah, the Stones. Yeah, yeah, yeah right, they right, used a sample right. of the Rolling Stones. Yeah, and it caused a lot of trouble for them, and they actually ended up losing the royalties of the song. Uh, and and yeah. let, in, let me in Mick be Jagger and Keith Richards' defense, I mean, they were really hurting for cash. I mean, yeah. those guys barely had <laughs> right. any success right. in their Just careers. scraping by, yeah. right? Yeah. The poor, let the poor let me be yeah, very clear here. I did a lot of research onto this this week because I was very confused. So they pulled from a man called Andrew Long Oldham's orchestral cover of The Stones' The Last Time, the last time. which in and of itself is a cover. Like, it's a reworking of a song, which is... All around, just a weird moment. Sure. Uh, but uh, the Verve had tr- had gotten the rights to sample that, and they they tried to do it. They got the licenses and stuff from the rights holder of the song, but not the rights holder of the overall song, gotcha. um, who is just a, a really really scummy dude called Alan Klein. Yes. Mm. And w- I. Nick and I, we discussed him a little bit, and we're going to save him for his own little... He should get his own episode. His own episode (laughs) of one of our non-linears, but he was scummy, and instead of splitting the profits 50-50 like they had agreed on, um, and after he sued them, because originally they just bought the license and used it, and then afterwards they found out, oh no, you have to get this license too, and then he sued them. And instead of it being split 50-50, he realized how successful the song was and took 100% of the profits, took them to court. And the Verve never made a penny on their most famous song by far. And then, just real quick, (laughs) in 2019, finally, uh, Mick Jagger and Keith Richards were like, you know what, we're going to sign the song back over to you. And I'm like, yeah, now that's made up. It's drained of all the money it could possibly make. And Nick was like, well, in their defense, and I'm like, no, that song will never make as much money for the rest of Ashcroft's life as it did between 1997 and 2019. Yeah. So just all in all, like... It really highlights a problem with the rights and copyright system in America. Sure. And it's like a huge issue right now. And Nick, I know you don't know too much about like the digital music scene. Sure. But it's like really plaguing 
digital sites like YouTube and stuff like that. Like YouTube is is copyright striking people for putting their own music up. Oh wow! Like, okay. So like we like it's gonna be funny because we're we're in the process of copywriting our first album, right? And we're obviously gonna put those videos up when as they sure. come. It's gonna be interesting if we get copyright struck against ourselves. Yeah, that people would be are great. having that happen. <laughs> so it's just really interesting, uh, in a sad way. However, right. that's not the only song <laughs> on the album. Are you sure? <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, there are some really, really amazing songs on here. Uh, I I particularly love the song "Lucky Man" and I loved "One Day." Uh, Nick, I know you're going to talk more about this one, but I also love the "Drugs Don't Work." Yeah, yes. that was my favorite song yeah, by this band coming excellent. into the yeah. end of the day. Yeah. Uh, all in all, uh, the "Drugs Don't Work" was a really poignant song to me i hadn't put together what it was about when i first listened to it uh but it's actually about uh ashcroft's father who was dying of cancer at the time and there is like a secondary message of like you know don't do drugs sure but the, the original the original message of it is literally the drugs aren't working they're not making him better and right dealing exactly. with that they just make you worse yeah yeah so huh. all in yeah. all i mean this album is very close to my favorite of the week. Understandable. Uh, and that's really all yeah. I have to okay. say. I Mike, do you want to jump in? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, this album is, it's it's excellent. And it, it is uh, definitely a far cry from their first album. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's what they've, they really uh, broadened, um, you know, every aspect of their music. Totally. Yeah. I would say as a, as a positive. Like yes, they've, absolutely. They've absolutely. shown growth. And I love the first album. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the thing that really stood out to me, uh, it's also, you know, <laughs> it's Bittersweet Symphony. Mm-hmm. But yeah. when they, um, I, it was actually just Rich Ash- Ashcroft covered it at Live 8 with Coldplay. And it was oh. <clears throat> just Coldplay and Rich Richie Ashcroft. And it was phenomenal. Interesting. And he was, it, uh, uh, Chris Martin introduced him as the best songwriter in the world yeah. mm-hmm. to perform the best song ever written when he brought him up on stage. Wild. Yeah, and it was the their version was amazing live. It was great. That is awesome. Well, yeah. now I have to check that out, right? <laughs> yeah, you have to check that out. It was, it's really good. Okay. Um, before I say anything, and I'm going to be very quick, uh, let me just go back in time a tiny bit because you sure. skipped the Six Degrees of Tone talks I thought you were talking about. Oh, in between wait. these albums, I was I was going to say in between. I, yeah, I on our way to Urban Hymns, yeah, uh, they released they, an album called A Northern Soul. Yes, and the title track A Northern Soul was dedicated to uh, I be, believe it was Liam Gallagher. It was oh, Noel. Wow. It was Noel. Noel. Okay, was and Noel. and actually I had it in reverse. Okay, so Noel Gallagher, who is friends with Richie Ashcroft, right. Dedicated the song "Cast No, no Shadow. Shadow" from "What's the Story, Morning Glory," right. which we listened to on the podcast. Exactly. Um, that was our very first episode. Was Oasis, and yeah, that song "Cast No Shadow" is dedicated to uh, to Richie Ashcroft. Yes, I okay. won't use the 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 drop again because sure. we already did for Oasis. But uh, I will say, I actually, I mean, I knew I was going to know "Bittersweet Symphony" and "The Drugs Don't Work" because yeah. those I love those songs. But I actually also recognized Lucky Man and Sonnet. I knew all four singles from this yeah. album like okay. upon listening to them. I probably wouldn't have been able to tell you the last two or sing them to you if you told me the title. But yeah. once I heard them, I was like, oh, I've heard this before. Uh, so they did reach a little bit. That happens to me all the time on the show. Yeah, oh, I know it happens to you all the time, but it doesn't <laughs> happen to me that often. Um, uh, but I just echo all your sentiments. I, th- I think it was a lot of growth for this band. Definitely now we've traveled much more into the Britpop. Uh, yeah, of some this of their other one contemporaries. is almost full Britpop. Um, but it's great. It's done really well. Yeah. Uh, the songs are are written beautifully. They're layered beautifully. The string use, not just on Bittersweet Symphony, but as they use it throughout, 
Uh, it's really nice. But they've kept like that general, uh, very heavily reverberated sound. Like there's a lot yes. of reverb yeah. on this album still, even though it's more pop and less psychedelic. I think yeah. that Definitely, element yeah. of the the sound as a whole still distinguishes the Verve, say, from another band of this era like Oasis. Yeah, it does a great job, in my opinion. Before I know you're about to go into fourth. Yes. Uh, it does a great job, in my opinion, of keeping those atmospheric noises, but they're being created by the instruments. Yes, They're just exactly. using the echoes of the instruments that they're playing to create a feeling of atmosphere rather than just a button being yes. pushed. Yes. yes. Right, exactly. So amazing. Yeah. So I'll actually open my discussion of fourth because um, the producer of The Verve and Oasis, this guy named Owen Morris, has uh, been quoted as saying, uh, Nick McCabe, who is the guitarist from The yeah. Verve, he is. He said he is without a doubt the most gifted musician I've ever worked with, but he's also a complete and utter nightmare to work with because he will never play the same thing twice. Oh, wow. So, like, he creates all these soundscapes and he's very brilliant, like he's, yeah. you know, spoken about by the people who work with him as, as a genius. But he doesn't ever repeat anything. Like you, you can't get him to work on the same part and like and perfect it. He's just going to do different and unique things each time with every take. So depending on your style and what you want, that's either a positive or a negative. If you're if you're producing this, it's if probably a, a bit of a nightmare. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's um, rough. Yeah. Totally. Uh, but I wanted to you know speak to to McCabe's talents there. Sure. Uh, I felt like this album pretty much was classic Verve. I mean, from what I've heard from the first two records. Mm -hmm. Uh, it seemed pretty much like it left off or picked up where things left off. Uh, a great fusion of the Britpop sounds as well as their more psychedelic sounds. Um, yeah, which I think they leaned into more here. I would agree. Than the last, than Urban Hymns. Sure. Um, it was basically, I would say everything I liked about the first two records in longer form songs because most yes. of the songs are six, seven, eight minutes now. Yeah. Um, but I don't have too much more to say. I mean, Valium Skies is one that I'll highlight, even though it was the shortest song on the record. Yeah. So I'm just flying in the face of everything you, yeah, you know about I, me. You literally just broke my yeah. brain. Uh, but I, I think it was, it was another fantastic record. Well, it's funny that you said that because, uh, and I'll let you talk a second, Mike, but the longest song, I actually, I don't know if you agree with me, Nick, Noise, Noise Epic, Epic, I felt was too long. I get that. Like, it, I get that, that. Yeah, one, yeah, yeah. So, like, Nick has... It was one of the less inspired pieces... Yeah, uh, on the record. Yeah, Nick Even though has it was a good. forced yeah. me uh, almost against my will <laughs> to appreciate longer songs uh, by welcome. basically just strapping me down and forcing me to listen to the longest songs ever. That's true. Uh, and I've I've come to appreciate them. So when I see a longer song, I get a little excited because I'm like, "What's the band gonna do here?" So I always get really disappointed when they don't do anything. Right. Uh, but <laughs> other than that, I I'll let you talk, Mike, because I have more. to no, say. No, it's uh, you know. I I I felt like fourth was kind of just uh, vanilla. You sure, know? it was okay. it just really it didn't it didn't really nothing really stood out to a bit me. Less Not inspired, even, very yeah, exactly. Sure, exactly. I, I, I don't was, disagree with you. Yeah, it was it was um I don't know. It, I, it felt very uh, just kind of mundane almost. You know, like they really didn't have uh, they really it weren't inspired exactly. Yeah, we said it, and it was. It was kind of tough to get through. It okay. Was, yeah, I kind of had like a tough time getting through it. it. And I don't know if that was because, it, you know, it was three o'clock in the morning and I'm trying <laughs> to like, you know, get every everything done that I had to do. But it was like, oh, I don't know about this. I mean, it comp I compared it to the first album. Um, and I know obviously, you know, they're, they're much different albums, different uh, genres of music almost. But 
it was um yeah it was it was definitely uh disappointing to me Huh. Fair yeah. enough. Fair okay. enough. Okay, I mean, yeah. I definitely get it. It was so. It was the weakest of the three. I will it, say that it was the weakest it. of yes. the three, and I did get that point. And honestly, what it felt like to me is a relationship that you know you're on again, off again, on again, off again, and you're just struggling to make it work when it's clearly not working. Yes, that's yeah. what the verve is. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so they, I mean, at this point, they had broken up three times. Sure, and, and they broke up again. They right broke after. up again right after this album, right. and have yet to get back together. And nobody sure. thinks they will. Right. So there was clearly a ton of tension, and I'm sure part of it was McCabe, and I'm sure part of it was Ashcroft. A, a lot of people also say that about Ashcroft is like he is an incredible, like you know, musical and songwriting kind of genius, but he's difficult to work with because of that. Yeah. Can a I just? To speak really quickly to what yeah. you were saying about, you know, the likelihood of them getting back together. Yeah. Uh, at one point during one their eight-year split, I believe, between these two albums that we just talked about, uh, Rich Ashcroft I said, to say. yeah. you're more likely to get all four Beatles on stage. <laughs> yeah. And at, this, at that point when he had said that, obviously, John Dude, Lennon had been dead for quite John, some okay. time. Yes. And I'm not right. sure if George had passed at that point. Yeah. Um, but they did get back together. Right. But at this point, it doesn't look good. And that's what I got out of this album. It looked like a, a group of people who know they create music well together and like each other. They're, I'm sure they're not. They don't hate each other. Sure. So they when they get together, they're, they're playing the music. It's great. But very quickly, it devolves into into chaos and, and tension. And what they tried to do differently, they tried so hard to make it work for this album. They would really restrict their touring they would really restrict their time in the studio to try to like spend as little time together as possible basically yeah so it didn't go south and it still went south and what that turned into was an album where you didn't have a group of people really working on it together sure and, it, and and that's what I heard. Yeah, I yeah. heard a group of people that were creating parts of a song separately and putting them together. Yeah, I understand that. Yes. Th that uh, so it still has the Verve sound, and it's still a good album. Like I'm not yeah, trashing it's a it to listen to. Um, but it, it's not as good as the last two. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. So yeah. that's as the person who definitely liked it the most, I fully agree. Yeah, yeah. It's I, just very pleasant to listen yeah. to overall, and the kind of sounds that I generally like. So yeah. that's why I was still I, gonna like it regardless. But I just felt like they were trying to recapture something that just wasn't there anymore. Yeah, yeah. no, yeah. I, I don't disagree with yeah. that about at all. that on again, yeah. off yes. again relationship. Right. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Exactly. Uh, so let's talk. Let's great. Uh, cultural impact. I do think they're more than just Bittersweet Symphony, but not they, by a lot. They are more than just Bittersweet Symphony. Um, some of their cultural impact. That lawsuit actually was big. Yeah, I, I know. Yeah. It's, right. I know yeah. it's based around Bittersweet Symphony, but sure. It's more than that. I, I totally agree. Um, and like I said, actually, the drugs don't work was their number was their only number one hit from that record yeah. in the yeah. UK. Well, the UK that's they're, they're much, huge there. Yeah, they're, they're huge, huge there, in right. the UK. Yeah, so which is always a little bit of a Some, bonus, right? For us. Yeah, yes. something that has to get factored in a little bit at least. So definitely not like on a, on a one for a one hit wonder or anything no. like that, but not super high either no i mean i'm probably putting them in between a two and a three i think yeah. that's totally appropriate uh, i might yeah. lean a little closer to three okay. because of the lawsuit because of how big they are in the uk sure. yes. because of the other singles yeah released. I'm, I'm happy to do maybe that. like a 2.7 i'm all for it yeah. uh breadth of work there are four so four. four albums we listened to three quarters of it um i think we're all on board with saying as far as uh the quality of the music they gain yeah, on that they like do. the worst yeah. that they do is pleasant yeah. Um, and the best that they do is excellent. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, if you look at certifications, Urban Hymns 
it's platinum everywhere. Platinum yeah. everywhere. Eleven times platinum in the UK. Yeah. I mean, one of the highest selling British records of all time. We're actually going to talk about one more, one of the small <laughs> handful of records that sold more in the UK than this yes. one later today. Uh, but the only other one we've ever discussed on the podcast is Sgt. Pepper's. Yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah. Um, as far as UK certifications, right? Only. UK certifications. I'm I'm pretty good with this. I mean, the the only thing that's hurting them for this me in terms of records. sales, well, well in terms a lot of, sales, of it is a lot of it is, is it's only Urban Hymns. Sure. The other albums only went gold in the, in the UK, UK, which is I think fifty thousand. I believe that yes. you are correct. So yeah. that's not a lot. <laughs> no, that's no, not, no, no. Um, definitely not. Uh, but they did go one, uh, number one in the UK. For uh, their yeah, last two yeah, records. charting they chart, charting they charted well in the last two. Uh, so I, does that boil down to like maybe like a four and a half? Do I think want... that's I think that's sort of the precedent we've set with yeah. bands that are underneath but quality. Yeah, underneath uh, but quality, the, really in the good four sales and a half in the one album. Uh, yeah, so let's do exactly a four and a half. I'm good with it. Yeah. Uh, instrumental talent. I want to be above, but I don't want to be crazy above. I'm in yeah, the fives. I'm in the fives. Yeah. Um, I'm in the higher fives. Yeah, I think that what I they agree did was good with that one producer about, about McCabe. McCabe. Yeah, totally. Uh, brilliant guy. Yeah. Definitely created a lot of really interesting soundscapes with his instrument. Mm, which um, will which will boil more into songwriting. Exactly. Exactly. So I think they're going to be a little a little bit better than average in, in instrumental, and then they'll be a little stronger than that in songwriting. Yeah. Songwriting, yeah. I think my my threshold would be right around like a five point six. I'm, I'm a bit above that in. five and a half. Yeah, totally. I would, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. I think that makes sense. And then for songwriting, like we mentioned, I mean, it's not a huge body of work, but there was significant growth. Um, yeah. and you know, different instrumentations, different styles. Sure. Yeah. Uh, really well layered and thought. Like you could tell each song, every instrumental part was considered. Uh, and worked on to make sure that it fit the song best. Yes. Yeah. So they're well-crafted pieces of work. Yeah, I mean, I would be willing to give them like a six here. Yeah, that's exactly that's what I was yeah. thinking, yeah. 100%. And then uh, Poetic Talent. I also thought the Poetic Talent was pretty good on a lot of these He's songs. a good yeah. songwriter. Yeah, he's a good writer. He's a very he good writes with, yeah. He writes with feeling and emotion. Totally. You understand that even when he's not writing from personal experience, it feels personal. Sure. And when he is writing from personal experience, it feels relatable. Yeah. So again, so I would say he's definitely really an above average things. writer, but we'll also factor in that it's not quite the average right. amount of work for Yeah, an if he had too. written six albums of this quality of songwriting, he'd probably be closer to like a seven for me. I get that, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I'm I'm maybe giving him another six. Uh, that's pretty much right around where I was at. Yeah. Is the lawsuit any X factor. Uh, so I'd be willing to give it like maybe like a point one, Okay. Because it's their biggest song. Sure. And I'm, I think I'm a cool lot of people, especially our listeners, may be surprised to learn that they didn't make a penny on their biggest hit. Yeah, that is wild. Like yeah. this band. And, and honestly, <laughs> how much did that affect them? That that's a great. You know what point, I mean? Yeah. Maybe if they maybe if they had right, made obviously, the fifteen million right, dollars after that, they that came won, out and was a huge success, they weren't making all, as much money as they should have, and then right. they disap- You know, they yeah. broke up. So so yeah, I mean that that really is a huge deal. Sure, absolutely. If, if this band had made the fifteen million that they were should have made for Bittersweet mm-hmm. Symphony, did they maybe stay together, record an album instead of waiting eleven years? Yeah. Do they wait four years, release sure. one in between, and then all of a sudden we're talking? Yeah, the, I mean, the, right. keep about going on that momentum. Band. Ride yeah, that totally. train. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'd give All him right. a point one. Cool. Let's move on to Gavin DeGraw. 
All right, so Gavin Shane DeGraw is an American singer-songwriter. He's been active for time. Yes, that's right. Uh, for time. <laughs> for time. Uh, I think his... It actually doesn't say, which is which is the first time that's ever happened. Fascinating. Uh, I, At least since 2003. I was going to say out. he's been active since about 2001, though. I, that sounds... A, I know. Yeah. 2001 till the present day. Sure. Uh, and we went over three of his albums. So we went over Chariot, Sweeter, and then Something Worth Saving. Right. So uh, I'll let you go first again, Nick. Oh, me. Okay. Uh, so then I will just start, because I, I can, uh, with the Six Degrees of Totem Talks. Oh, man. Because Gavin DeGraw is not the only person who plays on this album. He's a singer and a piano player, but he needs other musicians to, to fill out a sound. Yes, so on guitar on this record is Michael Ward, who was a guitarist in the band the Wallflowers hey. for quite some time. Yes. yes, look so at that. Um, so all in all, I knew a handful of songs on this record. Uh, if you're a person, you probably know I Don't Want to Be, which yes. was a pretty big hit Especially for him. Especially if you've seen the WBTV show One Tree Hill. Which I have not, but I definitely knew the song anyway. Uh, Chariot was also uh, a decent hit for him, and I actually also knew the song more than anyone on this album. Okay. All three very good yes. songs. All three very good songs. I mean, to... Sum up Gavin DeGraw. He is somewhere in between a singer-songwriter guy who sits down and plays the piano and rock and roll. He's somewhere in between. Sure, he sure. kind of toes that line and brings those two worlds together on his songs. And I think he does it pretty well. I mean, are these the best rock and roll albums I've ever heard? No. Or, but I like them. I mean, I think it's a very yeah. solid listen from beginning to end. He's a pretty good singer. Um, and I think he crafts the songs pretty nicely. Um, I, I don't have too much more to say about him, honestly. I mean, he's right. like got some interesting and creative melodies, um, and the songs are like in that solid place. They're, they okay. don't they don't stand out enough that I want to like jump into them more and like uh -huh. dissect them. It's it's not pleasantly. It's more than pleasantly forgettable, but it's less than great. Sure, fair enough. That's where I fe <laughs> feel like I stand on his discography, and I absolutely love that. So, yeah. Mike. So what what I got the most from uh gavin DeGraw was gospel oh yeah, yeah, yeah. i yeah. mean a lot just of soul. some blue eyes soul, yeah. exactly exactly and it, it's and he really you could tell that's a major influence and probably other singer songwriters of later days maybe billy joel uh elton probably elton john I'm probably sure. but he i mean he definitely you know he doesn't have the best voice but when he when you have that gospel uh influence and the feeling that comes through in gospel and, yeah and yeah, if you just apply that to anything, it just sounds better. And yeah, yeah so he uh, he really um, uh, gets a lot from that, and, and it's very clear. And even you know, most of his like chariot is, is mm -hmm. just sounds like a gospel song. Yeah, yeah that one definitely. Yeah, yeah, and, and a really good one. Yeah, exactly, totally. exactly. So all in all, I really. Um, I only did know a couple songs, but I was pleasantly surprised with um, some of the songs that I had not heard. Fair enough. Yeah. Okay, so I'll I'll uh, pick that up. Uh, I thought this album was overproduced. That okay. was the vibe that I got. Yeah. He wrote yeah. it, and 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 the writing is good. Yeah, but I felt like in the studio, and he even came out and said uh, one of his problems when he first started recording was understanding the process of recording a studio song and how much goes into it, and kind of making he. I think he used a really kind of deep quote making the process feel like it's not a process, mm, uh, yeah. which was interesting yeah. because it is a process. It, it, it is. I mean, Nick, we've been recording an album, and we know that a lot more goes into it than just sitting there playing it and then sending that out. Yeah, I will tell you that 
as far as personnel is concerned, aside from just people playing uh, instruments on this record yeah. for him, there are 10 people who were credited as either engineer or assistant engineer or mastering exactly. or producing. Like 10 different people wow. were all doing uh, that. So if you agree with me, uh, listeners, about that, and, and a lot of really good songs on here too. I mean, I don't want to be as a good song more than just a TV theme song. Totally. Oh, yeah. Chariot is a really legitimately good song. I also liked Belief. I also liked uh, Crush. Yeah, that uh, one had a great Chemical movie. Party is like a fun, upbeat song. So I really enjoyed a lot of this. So if you did too, but you think it was overproduced, he released an album a year later called Stripped, Chariot Stripped. And it was all of these songs done acoustically, live instruments, so much better. Like it was, it, it felt so much better to me all the way through. It felt more authentic. I got to really hear the writing. He sounded better on it. Um, And they also included a cover of Sam Cooke's Change Gonna Come. Great song. Which is just awesome. <laughs> which, by uh, the way, if you're looking for that uh, on iTunes or Apple Music, it's under compilations. All which is weird. Which Chariot and Chariot Stripped are yeah. both, like you would be, I, at first I thought, I was like, how do they not have this album? Yeah. But then it, I had to go into compilations to find it. So uh, Tyler would be so proud of you making I know, fun of Apple Music. <laughs> uh, not a sponsor. <laughs> Unless they want to be. If they if you ever hear us just stop talking crap about Apple Music, you'll know we sold sponsoring out. us. <laughs> um but I uh I would very much think that it's a really good album and I think that I'm gonna move on to Sweeter. Excellent, yes. Um <laughs> now I have two six degrees of totem talks here. Wow. One of which is is not really a six degree, but I have sure. to talk about it. And one that actually is a six degree. Okay. The one that's not really six degrees of totem talks is it's hard to explain. This was pretty much throughout his entire career, but especially on this album and even more in the next album. Gavin DeGraw sounds like Adam Levine. Yeah. Yeah, that happened to me more over time. Yeah. Like you said it to yeah. me. He, he and like, I heard it more he's over morphing time. Morphing slowly into Adam Levine's voice. Yes. Um, and this one is where I, I heard it a little bit on the first album, but I kind of just talked myself out of it. But on this album, I really heard it. And it's funny because my Six Degrees of Totem Talks also is about Maroon 5. Interesting. So mm. not on this album, but we've passed the album free. And on the album free, as Nick had said that, you know, Gavin DeGraw doesn't play every instrument, they brought in other musicians, including a drummer named Matt Flynn, who is the drummer for Maroon 5. Who is 5. the quarterback. Wow. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, who was the backup quarterback for the Green Bay Packers who threw six touchdowns. That's right. Uh, but also the drummer for Maroon 5. What uh, a busy guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah, so I actually was, I was thinking, it was so weird to me that I was thinking how much he sounded like Adam Levine and then looked at the personnel and saw Maroon 5's drum. Yeah, what are the ads? And I was like, maybe he just walked into the wrong studio because he heard the voice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very easy mistake. Right. Uh, but so this album is technically his best selling which is weird to me because his more famous song is on the first album. Uh, yeah, they're pretty. They're pretty close. It's pretty close. This they're one and close. then his eponymous album is also close as well. Right. So the reason, uh, as I was going through, like sweeter, and then his second album, Gavin DeGraw, like they both charted higher than each other in different places yeah. and this and that. So I was like looking for a reason to more definitively pick sweeter, and then it's so the reason became the big single, um, "Not Over You," went platinum. Yes. But there were there was no platinum single. None of these albums other than the first one uh, certified at all. Right. But this one had the only uh, certifying single. So. Correct. Uh, and In case you were questioning my methodology <laughs> from, from your chair at home. I questioned. He did. But I didn't question it in a bad way. I was like, so tell me why you did this. And he gave me that reason. And I said, cool, good reason. 
You know, as long as they're, yeah. because Nick will admit that Nick has sometimes been prone to putting my favorite album, putting your in favorite this? album yes. instead of the best album. <laughs> yes. Or the best fitting album. <laughs> that has We're, happened there, once or twice. So I'm like, wait, Nick, this album isn't nearly. It's like, like oh, these man. are close, but I really wanted to pick my favorite. <laughs> uh, but anyway, song wise, obviously, yeah, like we said, not overused on here. It's his second biggest hit. Um, it's a good song. It's more poppy. Uh, he is starting to skew more pop. Which, spoiler alert, is is a tale of things to come. Definitely. Uh, so I, for the most part, enjoyed this album. There are moments that I didn't like, and there's one thing that I could not stand, and it's the song "Soldier." Now, which is my favorite song on the record. It is objectively a good song, and I'm very sorry to everybody that I'm about to tell you this because. If I didn't know this, and Nick had never known this until I pointed I, it out. I've been listening to this song since this record came out 10 years ago. So I'm sure you would love it, but I'm going to tell it to you, and now you might not love it anymore. The rhyming on this song is so frustrating to me because not only does he, he very commonly implements uh, what's called an imperfect rhyme, where he rhymes things that are close but no cigar, which works mostly. However, he rhymes, he, he, he uses the lines, I told you I'm your soldier. But he doesn't even try to he make doesn't it try rhyme. Told you, soldier. <laughs> he doesn't try. Yeah, he doesn't do "told you, soldier." He does. So I never told you, and I'm your soldier. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I don't know why I said "call me." Did the "call me maybe" yeah, tune there? I'm not right, sure where that right, came right, from. But, right, but right, I just, right. whatever. I, th- that's the point. And I heard that the first time, and I literally was like, "Please don't do this to me." Yeah. And it was the whole song. Sorry. Um. But the rest of the, the rest of the album's good. I mean, it's good. It's it's not great. Like Nick had said for the first album, and like that's kind of his whole thing. He's good. He's not great. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like enjoyable. Yeah, would happily hear these albums again that we were talking about right now. But yeah, like, yeah. but it's one of those things where it's like I would hear his albums again. That's fine, but I'm more likely to hear his music in like the giant supermarket. I get you. Yeah, than I'll I still am by putting pick out it on. like yes. some of his some of the songs that I knew. Oh, before I'll put on really Chariot good. and I'll listen to all yeah. of Stripped. Yeah. yeah, right. Like I will. I mean, seriously. But that's that's where I am. So, Mike, what did you think of Sweeter? Yeah, Sweeter was it was a little more, uh, I guess, uh, poppy. Yeah. Um I think that uh, I didn't like it as much. Um Yeah. Yeah. And I you know the some of the things he does yeah like the what you're talking about in soldier yeah that was uh, <laughs> I that was like the first thing that I yeah. noticed. That's so that funny cuz I've so literally odd. known that song since it came out this year and I've never heard that before. Yeah, but like, yeah, I've you been know, singing along you know with you don't it for listen a long to time. lyrics first. I mean yeah. Sure, but yeah. I I somehow learned them all faster than you. Yeah. <laughs> I know the lyrics, but I, I well, don't know what the words you are. You know, that's but that's one of the things that you've always like people really stretch sometimes some yeah. things to try to rhyme. Oh yeah. And like he had it and then he just was like, No, I'm not gonna do it. And yeah. which was <laughs> just, just really yeah. odd. I don't know. I don't know. But for the most part it wasn't a bad album. No. Uh it was um you you could tell that there was a lot going on there though as far as uh uh producing. Sure. Um yeah. But I mean that's I guess that's just expected. Um, yeah, but I get it. You know, like you like you said, Pat, the uh, chariot. I haven't yeah. heard strip yet. Oh, um, I, I really, I, I'm gonna do it right. Yeah, yeah, now. yeah, I'm gonna do it right now. But um, <laughs> he, um, uh, really, just that that album kind of blew me away just from the aspect of like you know when you think about gospel it's it's like uh probably one of the uh, people say it's jazz that's the American you know creative music but yeah. I think it really is gospel. Yeah, as well sure yeah 
and gospel, uh, rhythm and blues. Exactly. Oh yeah. Exactly. And he really, uh, you know, he really had had something there, and he kind of yeah. feel like he got away from it. And it's, uh, you know, that was kind of disappointing. Yeah, I def I definitely agree. I mean, there's still some of that blue eyed soul. There is uh, yeah. in this record. Actually, the only song that you guys haven't mentioned that was another one that I knew well coming into this was the title track, the title, Sweeter, yes, Sweeter, which I think yeah. is a good, like, bluesy song. It like, is. it's a nice, it's got a nice, pretty basic blues riff, um, and it's just more, a more of a fun, upbeat one. Uh, but other than those couple songs that we mentioned, the ones that I already knew, the rest of it was, you know, enjoyable to listen to, but kind of forgettable a little bit, but not because it was bad. Mm. Um, there's just... I don't know. There's so little to say about him. <laughs> I don't, I don't, you know, like once we've covered sort of like his mix of genres and his, I just don't get new things that really pop from each album, you yeah, know, like yeah. it's sort of that same, he's got his nice little blend of genres well, that he does and he does it pretty well, but not I, great. I had some things stick out to me in the last album. Right. Which I'm going to get, that? which I'm going to get to. So something worth saving. Uh, this is definitely the most different of his records. Yes. Uh, and I heard the first song, which was, I, I suppose, the first single from the song, She Sets the City on Fire. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and it was terrible. And well, hold on. No, hold it, wasn't, on. it was not unpleasant to listen to. It was just obviously contrived pop yeah. with a bunch of, you know, it, it's not like it's bad. It's just like, oh, clearly you, this is just something that was made for the lo lowest common denominator to try to just get the most number one to thing that scares me. Whenever you have when you a see song, four writers on the song, whenever you have a song with more writers on the song than instruments in the song, exactly. That's a ratio you don't want to cross. Yeah. Four writers, zero instruments. Exactly. Exactly. Is scary. And now <laughs> I will tell you that coming into this album, Gavin DeGraw said that he was inspired by the Beatles, David Bowie, and Prince. Oh, and so he was inspired to do the exact opposite. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I, he, I heard all their music and I was like, that's garbage. Let me try my own thing. <laughs> Let me do um, something right. completely different. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but I will say, oh, uh, yeah. one of the writers, so uh, this guy, Greg Wattenberg, who wrote co-wrote that song with yeah. him and also also produced the first track. And there are just tons of different writers and producers all the way through. He's co-writing with a bunch of different people. New, yeah. pers new person is coming in to produce every track. Um, but this Greg Wattenberg guy also produced uh, Five for Fighting's album, Whoa. America Town. Yeah, yeah, wow. there you go. Wow. Uh, and at this point, he is, in fact, Adam Levine. Uh, yes. By the time this record the rolls around. The metamorphosis has completed. It's, yes. it's, it is complete. If you told me this was recorded by Adam Levine, who had slight laryngitis, so he couldn't do the falsetto. Yeah. Right. He didn't sound any different, but he couldn't do his high falsetto. Totally. I'd believe you. It was That was exactly <laughs> what it was. It was yeah. all just bass voice Adam Levine without any of the falsetto sure. Adam Levine. And now, after that first track, uh, it Definitely got better. It definitely got better. Yes. Um, not every track was like that. This wasn't entirely contrived, poppy nonsense. No. However, there were some good this songs. This album, like seriously, with the way that his career is going, I am terrified for the next Gavin DeGraw album. Yeah, I agree. I think by the <laughs> yeah. end, I was like, okay, he's trying to figure out who he is and whether he's just someone who like Max Martin writes the songs yeah, and he's just you? standard pop. By the end, I... <laughs> By the end, I think he decided that he's Train, and he's like, "Okay, I'm just going to make a Train album." I, this is <laughs> not, not, nothing right. against Train, right. nothing right. against yeah. Train at all. I That's really just like, like right. I, I think that just that was where he kind of settled at some point. Yeah, which is ironic um, because he is like well known to be really good friends with both Adam Levine and Pat Monahan, the lead singer sure. of Train. Right. Wow. So just that makes sense. Ironic. Here we go. Yeah. yeah. He hung out with yeah. both of them. Was like, I'm going to sound like you and write yeah. like, like you. Right. Exactly. Right. Okay. Real <laughs> right. Quick, uh, 
Totem Talks. Oh. Six Degrees. Uh, a couple of his other co-writers on this album. Uh, you got John Shanks, who I will talk about again later today, actually. Fun. He uh, produced the last Van Halen album that we listened wow. to, which was Garbage. Um, <laughs> and Sorry, not to remind anyone. I and, don't uh, think Garbage was on the last Van Halen album. It would have made it better, actually. Um, and Dave Bassett who uh, co-wrote and produced some of these songs, uh, also wrote and produced for Daughtry. Wow. So, I mean, and if that, that doesn't that give you, is, like, an idea of yeah. what the record is, then That is the least will. surprising thing, because no. if I had to say anything, I would say that this band, uh, this band, Gavin DeGraw, he's not a band, he's a person, uh, is like a slightly more soulful Daughtry. Sure. At best. Yeah. And then at worst, I think, he's... I, I think better... That. Yeah, I think his earlier work, at least, was a lot more authentic than what I felt in Daughtry. So I agree. I'm, yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm just comparing them in terms sure. of style, I not in terms of quality. Okay, that's all I have to say. Although, Daughtry's a better singer. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Uh, do you have anything to add, Mike? No, I think I think it's pretty much just been all covered there. Yeah. I think, yeah, top to bottom. I, I, and I honestly don't have anything else to say either. Uh, way too poppy, way too overproduced for the most part. Uh, there are moments, it almost feels like like a man who's trapped in quicksand trying to escape. And the quicksand is, you know, poppy garbage. Yeah. And every once in a while, he'll like punch a hand through yeah. and he'll have a song like Make in Love with the Radio on. Yeah, right, right, right. Where that wasn't a bad song. It was an upbeat, fun song. And yeah. guess what? You know and who he, his co-writer was? On no it. one. Yeah. That was the, it was one of the best songs. Yep. But then you have a song like Kite Like Girl, who was, it was just pure bubblegum pop. Yeah. Which is not something that Gavin DeGraw should do. No. You shouldn't have that soulful sound to you and then be like, I'm going to release bubblegum pop. Right. And yeah. that was actually one with Bassett, the guy who writes yeah. and produced for Daughtry. Which makes sense. Yeah. Uh, that was it. Uh, the, the only other thing I'll say is something worth saving, the actual title track. Not a bad track. They used it as the also, closer. Also, no co-writer. Yeah. And I'm saying that, so the two best songs were clearly just written by him. He, uh, like I said, trapped in quicksand. The quicksand of pop. Yep. Yeah. And that's all I have to say. That's, Let's uh, right. grade him. I agree. Okay. So I think it would be fair to say he's had a couple of hits. We all yeah, knew multiple songs coming in here. You yeah. know? Um, I don't think he's like super well-known or anything, and- he never He's... certified or anything after his first record in 2003, yeah. but he had a couple of hits that we knew. So he's he should get a couple of points. Well known, I, I like. Yeah, I'm I think not he saying get a couple of points. I'm not saying he's up there, but he's. I yeah. mean, people know the name Gavin DeGraw. I, sure, I would say his songs are more well known than him. I would that, agree. With yeah, you definitely that. not yeah. over you, or I don't want to be your probably yeah. more well known than his name. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, Gavin DeGraw, the actor. I mean, he was on four episodes of One Tree Hill. Wow, <laughs> playing himself, playing his music. Wow. So they really liked Gavin Okay, DeGraw. I mean, well, how high are you on him? Oh, I'm like maybe like a three and a half to a four. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's that's more what I was thinking. Yeah, I was no. like three and a half okay. to four range. I just, I, he's definitely, I would maybe like a three six or a three okay. seven. Yeah, I'm, I'm cool with that. I'll go three six. Yeah, um, for his breadth of work, there he's, are exactly six records. Six. Yeah. Um, shockingly enough, it was literally only the first one that went platinum anywhere. Yes. Uh, um, none of his, they actually don't even chart that well no and I, i'm kind of surprised so yeah. my thought process uh i'm ending it at five okay and it goes a five for average i would be bumping him up to maybe like a five and a half for the first couple albums okay chariot gavin DeGraw, and sweeter freeze okay um but they're all good albums sure yeah mm -hmm. I, I totally and agree. then i think make a move and something worth saving both kind of start to pull them down a little bit understand right back to average okay 
And I yeah, think he'll I probably mean, just live there forever if he continues at the, to release at the pace he is in terms yeah, of quality. Right. Because as his quality gets worse, his number will go up and just keep him at five forever. Uh, understandable. Yeah. But if he releases like one more album like Chariot. That's very good. Yeah, go he back might to go his roots. Up, he, could yeah, go. Yeah. he might go up. Sure. I'm, I'm okay with that. Uh, as far as instrumental talent goes, I think it was solid on the right. Like the players yeah. behind him were all solid players. And I mean, he's also solid. I mean, so I he's agree. the piano player, right, and a guitar player. Not as much, but yeah, not as much of a guitar player, yeah. but he does play it, right. But he's so he is a piano player, and he's a he's a decent singer. Yeah, Adam I agree. Levine is I agree. a decent singer. Oh, and I totally so agree. Adam Levine Light is also a decent <laughs> singer. I I don't disagree. Diet with Adam Levine. Right. Like I'm probably still in the fives here, but I'm yeah. above five. I'm probably yeah. like a five three or a five four. I think that's yeah. totally fair. I went under your list uh, on cultural impact, so I'll go over on this one. Do five four? Sure. Uh, songwriting talent again. I do think his first two albums, whatever. He, I mean, like I said, they were all good. Um, I do think the songs were crafted well, but there wasn't a ton going on or a lot of variation yeah. either. Like what he did was good in that it kind of brought together the world of singer songwriter with rock or blue eyed yeah. soul. But that was his sound, and that was his sound on every song on all the albums. Yes, um, right. So, so it's not like he really evolved, except for in a very negative way towards the end. Yeah, which is putting me under. Sure. So I mean, I'm in. The, I'm in the high fours. It would have to be. Yeah, it would have to I be. Mean, you got to like give a, him credit for the first. Yeah. I'd be willing to give him a four eight. That's exactly what I was. Yeah. I think that makes yeah. perfect sense. He's almost there. It's just unfortunately he let too many too many cooks in the kitchen. That's yeah. Good. Right. That's exactly is. what happened in the last album. Okay. Uh, poetic talent. Okay. Listen, I w- I will promise you here and now I will not give him a one for the rhyming. Thank you. <laughs> I won't do it. Um, he writes decently. It's fine. He has messages. He's not just writing to fill space. Um, the but, writing never took me out of it. But yeah, yeah but it not never even brought like me in. Rhyming it. aside, but right, yeah, didn't it, bring so, me into it either. So I agree. I again am leaning more towards like maybe like a four nine to a five. Okay, right around average. I want to take off some points for the for the weird rhyme. But fine, I, you I get a four nine then. I'll yeah. take the four nine. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> there's not an X factor here that I unless unless you really want to give him one tree hill points. I don't. Then, then no. Then no. I'm All okay right. with yeah. that. Then let's roll yeah. on to uh, Fleetwood Mac. All right, so Fleetwood Mac are a British-American rock band. They were formed in London in 1967, and uh, they've been pretty much active the whole time. They took a little bit of a break in the mid-'90s, a couple of years, a little vacation, yeah, and then uh, <laughs> came back from there, and they're still active today. Fantastic. So we went over three albums. Album number one is eponymous Fleetwood Mac, also known as Peter Green's Fleetwood Mac. Right. So there are two albums called Fleetwood yes. Mac. Uh, so then we went Be over... The Lookout. We went over Shocker, Rumors, which wow. came out in 1977. Mm. Uh, Fleetwood Mac, the records. first one, came out in 1968. And then Say You Will, which came out in 2003. Now, we have kind of developed a pattern here on this episode today where I just open each artist with a Six Degrees of Totem Talks. Could I, could I do, do that? You, you want to do it again? I would sure. love to. Okay, so the original formation of Fleetwood yeah, Mac. Yeah, I, I knew you were going to do this. Um, right away, like, most people know the lineup that we're going to talk about for Rumors, which kind of becomes, like, the most famous, best-selling version of Fleetwood Mac. But it started out as a blues band. Uh, Weirdly. Luckily, luckily, Mick Fleetwood and John McVie stayed in the band for the entire time because yes. that's where Fleetwood yes. Mac comes from. Literally the only two members to make it through on all these, uh, all these records. Uh, but they started with Peter Green, who was a well-known blues guitarist at the time, uh, and he was playing in John Mayall's Blues Breakers, 
Uh, which, which isn't a real band. Which is, <laughs> and you say that every time I bring them up. Uh, but he actually replaced Eric Clapton in the Blues Breaker. So after Clapton left to go on to bigger and better things, mm. he was Peter Green was the guitarist that stepped into that group. And then, okay, and then it was John Mayall himself who decided to say, "Hey, yes. I'll get you some free studio time. Why don't you put together a band uh, and and get yourself a record out?" Yeah. And so John Mayall is the reason why this record happened. Uh, how Peter Green got Fleetwood and Mac and Jeremy Spencer and these other guys together uh, to form this record. And it is a full-blown blues record. Super blues. I mean, it's just a straight-up blues record. Um, If you know rumors and you like rumors and you're like, let me listen to more Fleetwood Mac, you will have a weird time. Yeah, this is nothing like what you know. There's no Stevie Nicks. There's no Lindsey Buckingham. uh, There's not not even a Christine McVie yet. Um, It's true. But it's a good blues record. I mean, it's a well-regarded record. It's a... Yeah. high-selling record. If you enjoy the blues, you'll enjoy this. Um, but it it's not like a standout to me. Um, honestly, if you ask me, I would have said it's a very, very solid blues record, but I'm not sure why it's gotten as the amount of acclaim that it has. I would enjoy listening to it any time, but yeah. I don't think it's remarkably special as far as blues records go. Um, but one thing that I do think is special about it that I do like a lot is the fact that this sounds like it could have been, you know, straight covers, 12 songs by from like the 1940s and 50s yeah. from mm-hmm. old blues standards people. Uh, but most of these were actually originals written by Spencer and Green. And I think, honestly, that's why it got so much acclaim. Because yeah. with the blues, especially once you get into the 60s and 70s and beyond, there is such a propensity to just have covers and standards and re-records. So people who really enjoy the blues were clamoring for new music. Yeah. Right. And th- this is new blues music, so totally. you're like, okay, I want it, and it was good new blues music, totally, which yeah. is even better. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's pretty this, much it. I mean, it's, yeah, it's right just around a- this album and beyond is where uh, my brain kind of checks out of pure blues. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's uh, not like when we listened to Jethro Tull to open up the season, and their first yeah. record was a blues record. Yeah, that record was more complex and interesting than this one. Yes, Definitely, that was. Blues Plus. Totally. Which, from here on out, from, you know, the late 60s beyond, that all that I want to hear is Blues Plus. Yeah, understandable. It's the same thing as, you know, it, and I don't want to compare these two in the way that it's going to come out. Blues sure. and pop are similar in my mind, in the fact that the pure part of it has been done to death. Pure blues with just the the, the regular pentatonic blues scale has been oh, done to death. three chords, one, four, and five. Yeah, yeah it's I agree. Been, so... You need to incorporate other things into it Definitely. from here on out. Now, this came out in that time period, so I'm, you know, I'm not taking points away from that. But that's just my thought process. Same thing with pop. Yeah, Everyone's heard standard pop. You have to add something to it. Pop yeah. rock, country like, pop, or do R&B the pop. The Beatles added quite a bit to pop. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Uh, yes. But that's that. Yeah. So, all right, that's all I got. <laughs> that's all you had? Yeah. Uh, did you have anything to add? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so uh, my big thing from this album, so I had no idea. I yeah, was one I, of those funny, people right? that I, no idea. I knew rumors. I knew yeah. Fleetwood Mac 2, I guess. The, the yeah, other the second Fleetwood one, Mac right. album. That's got a bunch of big hits on it. Um, and I knew a couple other Fleetwood Mac like spattering here and there. I never knew <laughs> the original lineup. So I flipped this song on. I flipped the album on, and I'm like, whoa. Very different. Uh, my first thought, though, the actual first thing I thought was, this sounds like a kid trying to sing the blues. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing yeah, against okay. Peter Green. Sure. He does a good job, but 
but he very clearly, I think he's like 23 or 24, yeah, yeah, exactly. and he has no grit in his voice. That's a shame. And he's trying real hard yeah. to have it. Right. Yeah, he right. should have gone to the Billy Gibbons school of just shoot <laughs> yourself in the throat. <laughs> right, basically. Like that. Right. Just gargle right. some glass. No, but I, so all in all, I mean, the, the songs are really well done. Uh, I enjoyed it. They're really tight, which is really you know important for blues music, especially when you have a group. Like being tight and having those harmonies in the instruments works. And I think all through they do that. Uh, they have a couple covers on here. They have Hellhound on My Trail by Robert Johnson, who's one of the greatest blues yes. musicians the of all time. Classic. The, yes. uh, the also guy. the first member of the 27 Club. That's right. The, the original. Yeah. Well, probably not the first ever, but the first. Well, not the first person who's club. ever died when they were 27 probably years old, not, I think is probably, probably right. Yeah. Well, I mean, in ancient Greece, that was old. Yeah. Right? Great right. point. Yeah. Uh, they also, uh, the one I wanted to throw out was the song I Loved Another Woman, mm -hmm. which is basically the song Black Magic Woman. Yeah, right, right. The, yes. famous, the famous Santana version of that song is, is what everybody would Black know. Black Magic Woman being written by Fleetwood Mac originally. Yes. Yes. It's just very interesting when I heard that. Another I, thing that I a lot of people that. have no idea about. No, no, absolutely not. I'm sure. I only know that because you told me that. I did. <laughs> so, because Nick is... Uh, bored during the day i guess that's part of it and just just <laughs> researches everything he can about music that's yeah. correct that's good uh but that's what i have to say really solid album uh unfortunately for it the next album exists right so i'm gonna let you talk about that first but let me just a little bit of the adventure between now and then okay yeah so just tell the uh, tale a lot of lineup changes obviously by the time we a get to ton. rumors everybody is gone everything yeah. is different except the Fleetwood drummer Mac. Mick Fleetwood and the bassist John McVie are the same uh, throughout the late 60s and early part of the 70s. Uh, session musician and keyboardist Christine McVie was, or Christine Perfect at the Perfect. time, was yeah, playing on right. um, a couple of these records, but not credited as a member of the band. But she eventually comes on and joins the band officially in 1971 and, of course, marries John McVie. Yes. We'll However, get to more on that later. But also, Jeremy Spencer, Jeremy Spencer, oh yeah, here we go. He left to join a cult, uh, which he is yes, still, a, still member a member of. Yeah, yeah, a Children of God that Children became the Family God. International or right. something like that. Uh, but he actually even formed a band within the cult, and they did an album, which we will cover at some point in this podcast. <laughs> yes. and I'm wow. very excited about. Um, but that's the thing. So he's still there. Uh, and then, of course, it's not until the 1975, the second Fleetwood Mac, where the uh, a lineup that we all know of McVie, McVie, Fleetwood, Nix, and Buckingham is fully together. And yeah. so this is only their second album as the Fleetwood Mac that has become the famous classic yeah, right. lineup. Well, thank you for the history as we've traveled through. Uh, first thing is, I, I'm sad that Christine McVie changed her name because Christine Perfect is a it's better great. name. Yeah, yeah. Why, how could you get rid of that I last know, name? Right? Yeah. It's perfect. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so... Rumors before we get too far in. I said this to Nick. I'll say it again. This is quite possibly a perfect album. I would agree. Like yeah. everything that it tries to do, it does. It tells its story. It tells its message. The writing, the playing, the harmonies, the soul and the passion. Passion being a big part of this album because there is some real ripping tension going out on this album. Yes. <laughs> uh, a lot of that has to do with the fact that Fleetwood Mac all dated each other, married each other, broke up from each other at this point. The McVees are not together now. Right. It, by the time rumors came out, they've already been divorced and still in the band. Stevie Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham, together, gone at this point. 
Right. And Stevie Nicks has, I think she's yet to start dating Don Henley, but she right. will. And right. she'll also date Joe Walsh. Yeah. Well, how about that? that? I'm yeah. not going to push the button for <laughs> That's that. That's fine. <laughs> but, like, so basically, the big middle of this band has dated and broken up, is either dated or been married. So you really feel that here. Like, these songs, like Secondhand News, written by Buckingham about his breakup with Stevie Nicks. <laughs> right? The next, very next song, Dreams, written by Stevie Nicks about their breakup. Like, every single song is written with such a raw emotion behind it. And it, it comes together to create just this lasting testament to the fact that you don't need to have a positive emotion to write a positive song. Yeah. Like, yeah, they're, they're funneling their emotions into this incredible music. So and you just go through it and and it's not just Nixon Buckingham. Right. I mean Christine McVie yeah, writes those don't were the stop. three yeah. primary songwriters. It's yeah. funny that the whole band is named Fleetwood Mac. It's about McFleetwood yeah. and John McVie and they don't write the music. They right. just kind of sit back right. and play their part when it's yeah. time to come. Right. It's, but everybody it's else does the work for them. Um but there's obviously a lot of really famous songs on here. Dreams is a huge one. Go Your yeah. Own Way is a huge one. My absolute favorite song that Fleetwood Mac has ever done is The Chain. It's yeah. it's incredible. Yeah. Not yeah. just because it was in Guardians of the Galaxy 2. And it's oh, actually yeah, the right. only song on this That's record right. that is, in fact, credited to yeah. all five members of the band. Uh, and it's so good. Uh, the harmonies on this yeah, one, just the, the overall emotion of the song. Uh, all in all... If Fleetwood Mac has released one album ever and it was this song, they would still be as famous as they are. That's what I, agree. I, I believe. Yes, I agree. Uh, I will stop talking so sure. I don't take up a full hour. Understandable. Time. But every Mike? song's a banger. No, yeah, every every song is is great. It's like I could I compare rumors to ten. Pearl Jam's ten oh, is sure. like yeah, their absolutely. Yeah. I mean every song's great. I get it. Probably their mm-hmm. best album. Yeah. Um I I, I, you know, it, it is interesting to think about. Like, imagine being in the room with the person that you just broke up with. Right. Or divorced. And they're there, and they're doing the song with you. And that has to be a very odd right. situation. Yeah. But how But also that? brings it all out. It's right. a song yeah. about them. Exactly. They could have Can easily destroyed many other bands that would have never yeah. made Ex- this record. Exactly. And I mean, they have to be very professional. I mean, seriously. Nick, and, Nick yeah. our first breakup, I thought we'd never yeah, made it. I know. I know. Either. I know. It's amazing. <laughs> but yeah, that's, I mean, it's uh, it really comes through, though, in the work, Pat. You're absolutely right. Yeah. And it's... Um, and thank God that all happened yeah, because seriously. now we have rumors. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I don't want to spend a million years, but all of the hype surrounding this album, all the, you know, all of the critical acclaim, it's one of the greatest albums ever. That's all true. That's it all is. true. Yeah. There, there's no getting it's around it. Like, one this of those is one moments. Of those, it lives up to the hype. It's yeah. an album that lives up Very to the hype. Few it always things has. live up to it, I think. Yeah. Like, um, there are, there's, you can easily be disappointed by so many things that get overhyped. I have a hard time finding somebody who would be disappointed or think this album is overhyped. Agreed. Yeah, and everything is done well on this album. All three writers at their peak. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I have always kind of been one of those people. Christine McVie has always been my favorite member of Fleetwood Mac. Sure. I adore her voice. I know Stevie Nicks is the one that people talk about more often, but Christine McVie is my favorite, Uh, uh, hands down. Uh, And like even some of her lesser-known songs on this album are some of my all-time favorites, like Songbird. I mean, it's just yeah. such beautiful a beautiful one. song. You make love Daddy. And fun, too. You, they're yeah. great. I mean, they're, all of her, her tracks are, are really outstanding, I think. 
Yeah. Uh, and I will mention a lot of the instrumentation on here is also done really, really well. Absolutely. Like, Lindsey Buckingham does not get credit for being a great guitar player. He's a he great is, guitar yeah. player. Yeah. I mean, just listen to the acoustic guitar arrangements on Never Going Back Again. Yeah. It's just unbelievable how good he is. Uh, I mean, I, I really love everything about this album. Uh, so, fun six degrees of tone talks. <laughs> oh, man. Because no. I can't stop. So, later on, Mick Fleetwood actually produced, a, like, a full cover album of Rumors, where okay. a bunch of different artists came on and, like, gave the rendition of the different songs. Uh, and that cover album featured Matchbox 20, Elton John, and the Cranberries. Wow. I'm not all of them three covered. times. That's, that's understandable. Uh, <laughs> but it's just, it's a perfectly paced album as well, too, since that's the only other thing we haven't mentioned. Like, it's, yeah. it's all over the place. There's so many different styles. Uh all of them done immaculately. You and feel it's, the journey. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's all I need to say about that before we... Um, well, Nick, say you will take us into the last album. I will. Um, <laughs> so this is 2003. Right. Uh, although it had been recorded throughout the mid to late 90s and earlier in the 2000s and bits and pieces, essentially what happened here was Lindsey Buckingham was working on a solo record. Yeah. Uh, and he got a call from Warner Brothers... Uh, and they basically said, hey, we would like this next album to be a Fleetwood Mac album. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, so he basically took a bunch of his songs, called up Stevie Nicks, I guess. And uh, she was like, OK, well, I've got some songs that didn't make it onto my other albums and some stuff that we can work with. And yeah, so they all took a bunch of leftover songs that were for different projects uh, and put them together here to make this album, which is mostly fine mm-hmm. um it's mostly fine yeah there are times when it's not there are times there, there are, are uh, like times <laughs> when it's not there are some serious misses uh red rover was one of the big yeah. misses on this album it was pretty pretty bad um i don't want to to just sit sit around and rip. most it's it wasn't meant to be they weren't really together and working on this no it it all shows through that you know this is not the glory days of fleetwood mac Go back and listen to their stuff from the 70s. Uh, it's way better. But I will say, I mentioned a guy earlier in this podcast who, <laughs> Yay, co-wrote, we got there. who co-wrote songs with Did Gavin we... DeGraw yes. named I'm John gonna... Shanks. I'm going to give you a quieter one. Yeah, because it's within the episode. <laughs> it's within the episode. So John Shanks is also featured on uh, this record as well. He plays some keyboards and guitar. Yeah. And that's... One of the nice things I can say about it, I guess. And if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at exactly. all. Exactly. So yeah, move I, on. not the worst album I've ever heard. Oh, but no. We've listened to worse yeah. on this podcast. Way worse. Yeah. I, would say, I mean, I. I <laughs> oh, no, Christine McVie. Christine McVie is <laughs> no, gone. Christine, so my exactly, favorite writer exactly, and singer exactly. in the band is not there anymore. Right, I can't believe correct. I didn't yes. mention that. That's, uh, yeah, that was yours. That was yours for the taking there, buddy. I know. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I uh, yeah, I agree. I, it was, there was some big misses. Red Rover was definitely uh, <laughs> the biggest, I think. And uh, yeah, I just you know if, like you said, Pat, if if you want to hear Fleetwood Mac, yeah, the real Fleetwood Mac, you know the go back yeah, in time, just, totally. just go back in time, and and seriously, and don't go too far back in time, yeah, no, because then yeah, right, because yeah, right, exactly. From 1975 to 1980 yes. is the real sweet That's spot. The sweet spot, right. That's right. So for me, uh, I I think the biggest issue was the absolute just tension you had during Rumors is gone. Yep. Sure. So many years have passed. They're over it. Yep. They're over it. I yeah, mean, totally. come on. As as raw as it was then, I mean, you're not still if you're still harboring it forty years later or thirty years later at this point, come on, get over yeah. yourself. Yeah. So that takes a little bit away. 
Yeah. Um, I think that, like what you said, Nick, the kind of hodgepodge of it takes some stuff away as yeah, well. There should not have been, what, 18, 18 songs on song. this album? And it, and it honestly just felt like, like you said, they just pulled a bunch of their unfinished work. And we're like, ah, let's put it all in there. And next thing they yeah. knew, they had 18 songs. Yeah, sometimes less is better. Yes. Yeah. Um, and yes. there was a, So I'm going to highlight the good stuff. So you can understand that maybe the songs I don't talk about here, maybe skip. Yeah. Uh, the first one I'll say is uh, Illum 911. Uh, I, th- I don't know if that's how you say sure. it. Sure. Uh, but it's a Stevie Nicks song. Very Fleetwood Mac sound. Uh, it actually dealt with the emotion. So 2003 is not that far off. Of right. A lot of this writing was done in that 2001, yeah. 2002 period. Too. So it's about 9-11. It's about their reaction to 9-11. And it had a very Fleetwood Mac emotional sound to it. I really enjoyed it. Uh, Say You Will was another good song. It's the title track. I mm-hmm. felt like for a title track, it was a little lacking. But again, it was okay. It was, yeah, it was good work by Buckingham again. Like as yes. as lacking as a lot of the songs have been, like he's still a great guitarist. Yes. yes. Sometimes though, he's a little full of himself on this album. Yeah, understand. With some weird solos and some weird experimenting yeah. that kind of falls flat. Right. Uh, which is a little bit of a problem. Also, his voice when he sings is is not good. Right. Anymore. It used to be excellent. Yeah. It, it was, used to be. It was good. It yeah. used to be. Yeah. Um. It's actually we've had a couple weeks here where vocal degradation hasn't really been a problem. I know, I know. Until now, can't last um, forever. Yeah. <laughs> right. And this was only 2003. Keep in yeah. mind, like we when we listened last time, Mike was here to Chrissy Hind in 2020. Yes. Yeah, there was like yeah. nothing different. Amazing, but, yeah. amazing. But hey, you know what? Whatever happens. Yeah. Uh, Smile at you was another a highlight for me. Uh, they finally took back. They they got less experimental. That's the tenth track on this album. And uh, they're a little less experimental. And then the one for me, if you listen to one song on this album, make it Running Through the Garden. If Running Through the Garden had been on Rumors, I don't think it would have diminished Rumors. Yeah. yeah that's okay. the, that's right. the best praise I could give it. Yeah. Right. It's by far the best song on this album and right up there with their 70s work. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So that's pretty much all I have to say. The rest of the album's meh to good. Okay. Shall we grade them then? Let's grade them. Yes. So, so nobody's heard of them. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I'm going to go ahead and say, if you sell 120 million records as Fleetwood Mac has done. Okay. You get one point per sale. You so get, they get 120 million. 120 yeah. million points is right. where I'm at. Uh, no, I mean, they've got to be in the nines. Oh, easily. They're easily, yeah. right? Like, they're yeah. above, okay. I mean, they're above a nine and a half. Yeah. Okay. Everyone's yeah. heard of Fleetwood right. Mac. Yeah. Okay. Just exactly. making sure. I mean, I wanted to set the groundwork. I didn't think we would get a lot of uh, of fighting on this. Obviously, Fleetwood Mac is one here's, of the foundational classic rock acts. Here's why I'm not at a 10. Oh, I'm not either. I'm I know. Not, I'm like, I know. I, if you say nine, oh, easily over nine and a half, I'm like nine, six. And I agree. But I so when you get up to that range, there's always the conversation of they could be a ten, right? So here's I don't think why Fleetwood Mac, Fleetwood has Mac that isn't a ten. We've given a ten out what twice, right? Uh, have we given Beatles, Beatles, Beatles and Buddy Holly? Yeah. Oh, and so then three Elton times, John. and all three of them are a ten based on their music and something. So, and yeah. I think Fleetwood Mac, they haven't impacted the end something as much. I agree. Elton John, he's he's got it for his music plus his also, work with the LGBT. You have yes. to take into account that Fleetwood Mac, I mean, almost all of their sales 
uh, and fame derive from that short period in the yeah. mid to late seventies into the early eighties when it was the classic lineup, listen, which is great. Yeah. It's impressive. And it's important. Though. It's important. They deserve a lot of credit for that. But the whole early half of their discography with Peter Green. I mean, rumors went double dime. Exactly. Wow. Right. So there's a huge part of their discography that people don't even know that yeah. that's what the band used to be. And then there's, you know, there's stuff that happened after the eighties that string of kind of dropped off. Yeah. Well, I in say, terms yeah. of like quality and and people I mean from 75 to 87 everything they touched went platinum right yeah which is incredible absolutely so yeah that's just the reason they're not 10 for me every other no they're they're definitely not a 10 I mean you have to really truly change the face of music and the culture the way that Buddy Holly did or the The way that Buddy Holly Beatles Elton John with the LGBT like bringing that into the spotlight yeah that's uh, his whole Fleetwood Mac is is a solid 9-6 9-6 works yeah and that's Deservedly so. Now, Again, breadth of work is different. Right. So there are 18, 18 studio albums records. and 120 million in sales. Exactly. So, it's... again, we already know that most of that comes from a certain era, but that doesn't necessarily doesn't matter, matter here. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got to be like, obviously, you have to be in the nines again when a band Easy. sells that many, sure. many records. And <sighs> some of them are some of the best. I mean, Fleetwood Mac the second time and mm-hmm. Rumors are obviously two of the greatest albums of all time. Yeah, I yeah. mean, honestly, I, I'm I having mean, there's trouble. A, here, here's the thing. You do have to take into account yeah. all the years of Peter. Like, the first five or six albums, Green, people yeah. don't know as well. They're just not yeah. as good, even though they're solid. Um, and Can, some of the stuff at the end is not nearly as good, too. I mean, I'm But that willing, doesn't take me down. That doesn't take me out of the if, nines or anything if like you that, took, obviously. If you took that out of the equation, took the, the Peter Greeners out of the equation. Sure. You're then, still looking, but that's so that's actually a great point. Yeah. If you're if you do that, yeah, you're still looking at like thirteen albums. Oh, yep. totally. Exactly. With still a hundred and ten million in sales Absolutely. or more. Right. Yeah. So you're still looking at that. The, right. I'm just mentioning why they're not going to be like a ten. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> st- I would put them so above a nine five again. Probably not by a lot. Maybe a nine seven. I mean, I really okay. Would. I mean. I, yeah, my struggle here, and I'll tell you exactly what it is, it's balancing them against the Eagles for this season. So the Eagles had only seven records, so significantly yeah. fewer, but they had 200 million in sales. So yeah. an additional 80 million so, in sales, like how does that balance so against what did we the, give the 11 records? We gave the Eagles a 9-3. Oh, so that mm-hmm. so we took so away, that's so you see what I mean. Like I'm just trying points. to balance. Like we took away points for the fact that there were only, only seven, seven records, mm-hmm. but in only seven records they sold two hundred million. So we're talking right, almost right. three just times as many records. Okay, yeah, it's that, just weird. I mean, I'm not saying they can't be above the Eagles because there's so many records. I yeah. also don't think the quality is nearly as consistent from beginning to end as it is for so, the Eagles. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely with true. that. I, I'm willing to go nine five. I think that's fair. Yeah. A little bit above the Eagles. Yeah. For the I mean, like, po- you're not quantity. getting me out of the nines, obviously. Like, no. I'm just trying to, like, play if devil's you were advocate. Out of the nines, that would be insane. Podcast. <laughs> as you should. Uh, Instrumental Town is not as high, but it's no, good. It's good. It's yeah, good. Definitely. Uh, three great singers at one yeah. point. Um, I mean, I'm, I think Lindsey Buckingham is very talented as a guitarist. Because yeah. of the lineup changes. That's a big part of it. And because of the Peter Green, of... also very widely regarded as a blues guitarist. Mm-hmm. Yes, he is deaf. He was a blues guitarist. <laughs> right, I'm saying like he was. He was really well. I know. Known. I'm just kidding. I was just joking. Um, uh, you know, he was uh, important for blues guitar. So like, in the early stages with the lineup changes and the and the the turmoil and stuff like that. And I mean, let's 
Let's be honest. I love them. They're the namesake of the band. They're not really contributing much. Fleetwood and Mac. Fleetwood and Mac. They contribute the least out of everybody. They contributed the name. Yeah. Precisely. They're not really wowing. I agree. I would be okay if we were in like the high sevens, low eights. I totally agree. I was literally in my brain as you were talking. I was like, so eight, right? Yeah. I'm okay with an eight. Yeah. Eight eight is right. Uh, Songwriting, uh, they're very good at this too. Uh, Yes. Again, I, caveats of all the other stuff hold, again. But, uh, but, but so less here. And seriously, if you can take that type of heartbreak and emotion and turn it into like a, an album where you're not only writing about it, like when I think of albums that are about heartbreak that are really good, I think of like Layla and other assorted love yeah. songs. I mm-hmm. think of Twenty One by Adele. Okay, mm-hmm. they jump out at me. Rumors. Not only are they doing that, but they're all in the band doing that. Sure, totally. That adds Look, a whole other layer to yeah. it. I mean, I'm still very high on this. I was yeah. just saying, let's keep in mind what we yeah. know about the beginning and end of their discography. Sure, so and I understand. And but when it comes that, to harmonies, excellent. When it comes to uh, arrangements and instrumentation, excellent. Um, so the the beginning and the end of their career here is going to pull me probably just a little bit out of the nines. Okay. But to like an 8.9. Okay. If that is that high for you, Nick? It's a little high for me and the here's the reason that I'm going to going to say that cuz it's not that much further below say Jethro Tull who mastered 10 different genres on the on mm. just the three records that we listened to. So, I mean, when it comes to arrangements and when it comes to harmonies and all those things like that, I think Fleetwood Mac is pretty much right up there near the top yeah but do they really span the way that the beatles do do they really span the way that jethro no i think we gave the beatles a much higher score there no no no, i understand but i'm saying like before i'm all the way up that high you got to show me that you are masters of like 10 different genres you know what i mean like i'm not even saying out of the eights necessarily but i'm on like the lower end of the eights than you are i think I think my f- absolute floor would be like an eight point six. Yeah. Okay. I, they were at the I'll top of like let's say three different genre, genres. Sure. I mean, right. at the top. Um, so sure. totally yeah. agree. Uh, so eight point six is is fine by me. Yeah, it works. Poetic okay. talent. So here's here's w- another very interesting category. Fleetwood Mac just does such a good job. With their songwriting and yeah. their and their lyrics, totally. Yeah. And again, I know I'm harping on it, but like taking that type of raw emotion and just throwing it like in the same room, like I can't, I'm yeah, no, just I'm can't imagine doing it. Awkward, but, yeah. Oh my god. Like, seriously, like I know, I mean, like I'm all the singer of these of the other band bands that podcast, we've talked about before but, have. When they get to this point, oh, they send they, one person into exactly. the studio at a time, and right. that's when we yeah. get these records that sound disjointed. Just call, yeah. Even if they're good, they're not. Inspired. It's so crazy to me. Like, I could never imagine, like, for the most part in my life, like, I've had relatively amicable breakups. Sure. And I could never imagine being like, yo, hey, X, do you want to come write a song with me? I'd be like, I don't want to speak. I'm, I'm yeah. very awkward about, especially if it's about you. <laughs> sure. Like, hey, right. I'm going to write this breakup right. song about you and have you play the guitar on it. Like, yeah. oh, my gosh. What a power move. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sure. <laughs> But taking that away, I understand like a lot of their. But going back to the Peter Green days, that blues stuff that they were writing was still really good. Yeah. Now the 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 lyrics of the blues songs are by the nature of the blues. Right. They're always less just like yeah. Eh, okay. Right. I mean, I 
I feel like it'd be criminal to go any lower than like a above a seven and a half, and I feel like I could be talked higher. I'm okay with the seven and a half. Okay, yeah. all right. I'm okay with it, uh, but I would be willing I to say hear that, takes for X Factor for for a band like Fleetwood. Yeah, Mac. I want to say that uh, seven of those points were Fleetwood Mac and Rumors. Oh, of course. Hmm. Yeah, and then the half yeah. is all so sixteen other albums. Is the fact that Rumors is often considered one of the top ten albums of all time. Is I would that, say like, that's. I would say that that's an definitely part of, some, of, the, some of sort? an X factor. I mean, is a hundred. When you break the oh, threshold, I have another thought. Okay, is it X factor that Stevie Nicks officiated Vanessa Carlton's wedding? Uh, it's a five wow. now. Okay, <laughs> I just figured that. I was like, I found that information. I was like, I could try to remember it for years until we do the Vanessa Carlton yeah, episode, or I could just say it right now. Yeah. Uh. Okay. I'm going to throw some stuff out as well. Okay. 120 million albums. Right. Two of, you know, at least top 50 albums of all time. At least one. Well, Fleetwood can, Mac is excellent. I don't know if you anyone considers You could argue it, it into 50. the top 50. You could argue it there. Okay. I mean, Rumors is closer to the top 10. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have that. You have, you know... People widely know like the 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 breakups, the makeups, and stuff like that. I would probably be willing to give them a full two points. Two points is exactly what we gave Eagles. I just figured I would say that because I figured there have been a lot of parallels, more so mm-hmm. uh, between Fleetwood Mac and, and Eagles. Than... I I don't disagree with it. I think X factor wise, I I mean I I think that. They're getting that number for different reasons, mostly. Threshold is part of it. Yeah. But I think that Fleetwood Mac is getting it for just the absolute skyrocketing of two of their albums. Mm-hmm. And Eagles were getting it for consistency. Okay. Yeah. I I would even I would even argue to say more points and Maybe i three I get that yeah that's i mean oh, but if you think about we so rarely give out three i know i know it's i know it's like one of those things yeah. where and none know. of them tragically died in a plane yeah crash. If, how many would mac died yeah then, that would be a different I mean, story then, yeah how many bands or singer songwriters have covered one of their songs and also turned that into a maybe platinum gold whatever right think about that yeah Think about I, I, uh, who was I, uh, part of. Part of me agrees, but part of me is like, at what point? Like, how many standards are we setting? How many things am I going to have to go back and like? Do we, you know, put back extra X Factor points for Eagles because Hotel California is also considered mm-hmm. one of those great albums? Do we give extra points? To, what I, I mean, think like, we did. I, I think. <laughs> listen, I'm not sure I that think... we we clearly delineated that. As I'm not saying I wouldn't give two. But I'm just saying I'm not sure that we've clearly delineated in a way that's like objective enough where I could go back and say, okay, this is going to be the album where I add X Factor points for this band. But at the same time, I think that it's one of those things where if we sat there and and fully broke down the specific formula for every single outcome of X Factor points, we wouldn't need to be on the podcast. We would just plug it into a computer program and spit out the numbers. Understandable. So I think... The emotion of the reasoning is part okay. of what I just want to balance points. it against, you know, the big picture as well. Yeah, and I'm okay to give them the two. I'm all right. Let's I think do the that. two works, and we've got a pretty excellent set of scores here to wrap yeah, us up for the day. Let's, let's do it. <laughs> uh, things were pretty tight uh, at the bottom. 
Yeah. Not <laughs> super excited at the top. Yeah. Um, but I will say in third place, losing out by a point and a half wow. is Gavin DeGraw with a 23.7. Which okay. is a Which is a very respectable yeah, losing score. Yeah. If you break 20, totally. you're decent. Absolutely. Uh, and winning this week's episode, to everyone's surprise, uh, is Fleetwood Mac <laughs> with a 45.2. Wow. Which makes you know them what? our they're, fourth highest scoring they're up artist in the, of all time. They're up in the A's as they deserve yes. to be. Oh, of course. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and then the Verve had uh, 24.9, just nearly That's hitting 25 uh, in, in the middle there. Respectable. Absolutely. Yeah. A very respectable uh, week of scoring. Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah. Great job, guys. Yeah. I, I feel honored. Some really, some really fun artists that we went through this week and uh, really excited to, uh, to you know do more. Yeah, absolutely. Having a great well, time with it. Next week, we'll be looking at three artists, one of which is going to be Donovan. I'm looking forward oh, wow. to doing that. I, Donovan I'm, I'm McNabb, yes. former quarterback of the Philadelphia <laughs> right. Eagles. I, I'm a Donovan fan. So yeah, Donovan's great. To, yeah, Donovan's a yeah. great folk singer. Uh, yeah, so very excited for that. Um, folk singers, you know, we, you know, I have a weakness uh, we, for folk well, singers. So we all do. <laughs> I know. <in> this podcast. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, but listen, you guys, if you if you out there, our, our lovely listeners, are enjoying the podcast, uh, if you could just do us a favor and just tell every human you've ever met. Several uh, that you haven't. Just go yeah. up to people in the street uh, Nick said it before. Just start cold calling the phone book. Yes. Oh, yeah. uh, don't all start at A, though, or, or Great core point. A's. Coordinate so, different letters. Yeah, coordinate with each other. Oh, you know what it is? Whatever your last name starts with, call that, that letter yeah, in the phone book. Smart. That's, yeah, yeah. You're a smart I, I know. I just came up Look with that on you. the spot. <laughs> Poor Z's. Never getting any love. Uh, but that's going to wrap us up. Uh, we love you guys. Uh, we can't wait to be back next week. Um, you go out and live your dreams, live your truths, but most importantly, have a great day. <laughs> <laughs>